We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am Jethro Jones, your host, and I am excited to invite you to participate in the Transformative Leadership Summit happening August 1st through 14th. We are going to have a great list of amazing guests who will be presenting, Jerry Pascal, John Wenstrom, Bill Ziegler, Chris Weiger, Justin Bader, Will Parker, and a host of other amazing principals and leaders to help you be the best principal you can be. Go to transformativeleadershipsummit.com to sign up. Transformative Principal, episode 131 with Amy Fast. Today, I am honored to have as my guest, Dr. Amy Fast, who is the author of the book, It's the Mission, Not the Mandates, which is a fantastic book. And gosh, this is a good interview. She talks about measuring the intangibles and finding a way to ask the kids what it is that we need to learn from them. Really good information and gosh, just good things in here. I just really enjoyed this and how she starts talking about the the things that we really need to be focusing on. Really good. In the last couple of weeks before we get into the interview, I've shared some people who are doing the mastermind and I want to extend that opportunity to you. It is a great opportunity to learn and grow and develop and be better. And if you've been on the fence, get on transformativeprinciple.org slash mastermind and come chat with me. Let's figure out a way to make that happen so that you can be the best principal you can be. With summer coming up, we principals have a unique opportunity to get a lot of work done with no students and few teachers. If you want to learn a goal-setting program that makes your goals come to life, go to transformativeprinciple.org and sign up for the email newsletter and get my goal-setting framework that helps me accomplish a lot in a little bit of time. Welcome to Transformative Principle. Today, I am honored to have Amy Fast on the show with me. She is a Dr. Amy Fast, I should say. Excuse me. Please forgive me for that mistake. She has been uh, or is an instructional coach and assistant principal, and she is basically pretty awesome. And 
She really focuses on leading professional development in her district. But in addition to that, she wrote this cool book called It's the Mission, Not the Mandates, Defining the Purpose of Public Education. And did I stumble over anything too bad or miss anything that you want to be recognized for, Amy? No, you made me sound a little more awesome than I am because I'm, I'm only an assistant principal and I'm a former instructional coach and teacher. I don't do both simultaneously, but other than that, you're right on. Oh, man. Well, I thought you were more amazing, so... <laughs> That's too bad. No, Bummer. We can just stop right here. <laughs> yeah, well, it was See nice. Uh, shortest episode ever. No, you're still awesome. Don't you worry. So I, uh, my assistant principal saw your book on the Twitter or somewhere and recommended it to me. And I saw the title and I thought, you know what? I'm pretty sure that I need that book. And then I read the very first page and I was sure that, yes, I needed this book. And I just love your opening vignette about this, uh, this the ache for meaning. And it's, if it's all right, can I read just a little bit of it? Of course, sure. It's all about what's best for kids. The principal recited with a strained smile as he tracked the numbers across the page with his finger. This phrase had become the motto of educational leaders in our country, and at face value it sounded rather noble. The only problem was that the phrase always seemed to preclude a mandate that, while good intention, intentioned, rarely felt best for our students. And then you go talk a little bit more about a kid named David. And then the principal pulled open a drawer and held up a bag of peppermints triumphantly. Did you give them the mints? Peppermints. Peppermints were his obsession around testing time. Somewhere years ago, he had read that sucking on them helped students focus. And ever since, he regarded the peppermint as the silver bullet of student achievement. And when I read that tongue-in-cheek vignette, I thought, this is the book for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just love it because I've been in schools where the principal said, we got to have peppermints. We got to have do all these things right? so that kids yeah. can do well on these tests. And I just thought that was great. So before we get into everything about the book, can you talk a little bit about what pain you were feeling that made you feel like you needed to write the book? Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because I, even within my own district, as I was applying to be assistant principal, you know, people were questioning, is this book about this school? Is this book about this particular principal? Is this book about this district? And and it's, it's not, of course, I take experiences that I and others have had throughout their careers in education and kind of compiled them into this vignette. So while it's based on real experiences, it's not, it's not throwing, you know, a certain district or a certain school or a certain principal under the bus. But what was interesting, I'm a person who is, is an idealist at heart and, um, you know, anyone who gets into education is a humanitarian at heart. And, and I found myself, you know, um, trying to, trying to work the system and play the numbers game. And if I could just get up to, you know, I'm at 79%, if I can get up to 80% and it's, you, it's so easy when you're in the, in the weeds and in the thick of things to kind of forget, like, what, what am I doing here? What, you know, is, is, is going from 79 to 80% for the next three months, if that's my focus, is that really going to help my students? And, and if I'm someone who is, is an idealist and, and has a pretty strong ethical foundation in terms of my framework in education, then, then this certainly is happening to more people than just me. And that cumulative effect in schools, what is that doing to, doing to students? You know, it's, it's interesting because as you know, crummy of legislation as No Child Left Behind was, when that took hold in 2001, it actually made me a better teacher in a lot of ways because I had to really, I had to, I had to focus my instruction and kind of align to this vertical trajectory that, that students need in order to have this kind of guaranteed and viable curriculum. Like, 
uh, Mike Schmoker would call it, but it quickly took a turn for the worst when, you know, that, that focus, like I say in my book, is, you know, if, uh, at some point that focus turned into tunnel vision. And then you kind of lose sight about, like, well, why these numbers are supposed to be a reflection of the learning that students are doing. You're not supposed to jeopardize the learning <laughs> in order to get the numbers to be where you want them to be. So just watching that, that, that slow cultural shift over time and seeing, seeing teachers kind of forget why they're in in the first place and, and what a real purpose was in schools was the motivator for me writing the book. Yeah, and you talk about sacrificing the learning for the test scores. Say nothing of sacrificing your integrity right. and your exactly. honor exactly. test scores, right? Exactly, totally. So when when that's the focus, there another really good thing about the No Child Left Behind Act was that it made us focus on uh, subgroups and not just exactly. the group as a whole. So right. yeah, there were some really good things about it, but when we get that tunnel vision instead of that focus, as you said, which is a great, great phrase to use there, it makes it really hard for us to do what is truly best for our kids in the real sense and not just as lip service. Exactly. You know? yep. So there's a lot in your book that I really loved and I hope we can have a conversation today that just kind of talks about the need for us to to shake things up a bit. And you have a diagram in the appendix that talks about the sweet spot in education and where there's the academic achievement and well, you probably know it better, so maybe you should just explain it. Yeah, it kind of has become my my conceptual framework in education. And and I don't think it's just the sweet spot of success in education, but but I think it's a sweet spot of success in your, you know, personal and professional life uh, in general. So it's a it, the, the image I believe you're talking about is a triple Venn diagram that has one circle depicting academic achievement and another one soft skills, which some people refer to as non-cognitive skills, and then another circle um, talking about intrinsic drive. And, and the whole idea there is that we're not going to really experience the kind of success in our society or the kind of success in our schools that we want to unless we we can focus on all three of those um, spheres simultaneously. So so looking at uh, academic achievement, which we have been for years, and that's where the tunnel vision kind of um, comes into play because that was all we were looking at. Um, and then kind of broadening that focus to uh, students' soft skills that they're going to need um, in their personal lives and in the, in the workforce someday, and then also their internal drive. Because, I mean, I work in a high school, a very large high school, 2,200 students, and motivation is huge. And, and I'm not just talking about students either, you know, to motivation to succeed in, in their classes, but, but motivation for our staff to just tap into their, you know, reserves of selflessness and passion every day because it's a really hard profession. And we do really hard work that, that seems somewhat insurmountable sometimes when you think about what it is that we're trying to accomplish. So, so we need everybody that is working in schools, students, staff, parents, you name it, uh, to bring their A game every day. And so in order, to, in order to tap into that, we need a whole lot more than just academic achievement at play in schools. Um, and I think that plays out in society too, um, you know, when you think about the people that you work with, I, I, I'm, everyone has those people that they might be really smart, but they, they have no ability to work in teams or they have no tact when they're talking to parents or students. Or, and that's the soft skills component. And that, that is as important, if not more, than the technical skill or the academic piece, as is motivation. So, so that's really um, my conceptual framework. And you know, I talk about defining the purpose of public education. And in a nutshell, that's kind of that's kind of what I'm defining it as. I suppose um, is the the merging of all three of those 
circles. And uh, this is the unpopular answer in a lot of to a lot of people, but the the measuring of all three of those circles. And I believe if we take a, I don't want to go back to the eighties and, and do very little measuring or or go back to the self-esteem movement, but I'm more of a, like a, take a, a big data, a multiple measures approach and look at, look at um, measuring students holistically and having a holistic um, view of success. And I think that if, you know, it's unfortunate that what we test gets taught in schools, but it's, it's kind of the truth in a lot of ways. So, so if we look at how do we measure those three components of success and then work to improve upon those components, then I think that we're going to have a lot more successful students leaving our high schools and, and frankly, a lot more joyful students leaving our, our high schools who are inspired to get go into the workforce and, and, and contribute back to the society that they're going into. So. I'm going to pause for just a minute here and talk about how you can help support the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I learn a ton from doing this podcast, and I know you do too. If you'd like to support me in this, you can become a patron through Patreon, and that would mean the world to me. You can support me for as little as a dollar a month, but anyone who supports me for $5 a month or more will get the Transformative Principle Members Only feed, which releases the interviews as I record them rather than on a weekly schedule. If you've binge listened to any of the past episodes of this podcast, this is for you. And I know you're going to love it. So you're going to learn as quickly as I learn. And I thank you for supporting me. To become a patron, just go to transformativeprinciple.org. And on the right-hand side, there'll be a little button that says become a patron. You can click on that and support me. Thank you so much for your support. Yeah, and what I really like about this Venn diagram or conceptual framework or whatever it is. Is that there's no E in achievement that is spelled wrong? Is that your favorite part? Oh. I don't, someone pointed that out the other day. Yes. Good, good point. Well, that's awkward. That's the irony, right? But, yeah, that's, that's hilarious. Sorry. That's good you can joke about that. Um, so the uh, what I really like about it is that we we have this pendulum swing in education that you talk about in the book also that you know in under NCLB it was getting so bad and even with the common core coming out and the new state tests that there's so much testing and even president obama said that we need to cap our testing at 2% of the school year and so people are opting out and there's all this stuff and it's like no we don't we can't have everybody opting out because we need the data to make decisions to know how your kids are doing. But at the same time, we still need to have these, these other things happening. So, you know, we got to measure multiple things like you're saying. And what this says is that we really need to find that sweet spot and we need to be measuring to see if we're at that sweet spot. Exactly. And I want to talk a little bit more about the, the measuring as well. But one of the things that, that I feel pretty strongly about is as far as the testing goes, is that for the big summative end of year state tests that where we get measured, I really think that schools shouldn't have any school staff shouldn't have anything to do with those. And when we hire testing companies to make those tests for us, part of that service should be that they bring people in and they do the test with our students mm-hmm. so that we make it clear that this is a this is us being graded and 
it would be inappropriate for us to be so involved in that mm. as by actually administering the test. Sure. And talk about not popular, except for the testing companies <laughs> would love that because they'd make a ton right. of money because they'd have right. people in there. But, right. you know, that kind of stuff where we we need to separate and me- at the, some of the measurements so that if we're being the ones graded, then we really shouldn't be in that business of, of giving the tests and letting people's own insecurities tempt them to do things that are unethical or improper or anything like that. And thankfully, we've gotten away from some of those high stakes things in the last couple of years, especially with ESSA passing. But sure. I want to be able to measure things and know that there's no weird influences going on there. So let's talk about how to measure some of those soft skills and internal drive right. that our students need to have. Right. What are some of your suggestions for measuring the soft skills? You know, the, the soft skills to me are actually harder to measure than motivation, which is interesting because I think a lot of people would find it the other way around. But You can answer that question first because I was going to ask that next. So do it in whatever order you want. Oh, okay. I see, you know, soft skills are, are basically going to be, have to be around observation, I would think. And and obviously we're not going to be able to measure them in, until we make them an integral part of our curriculum. But the motivation piece, we've measured that at our high school. And I've, I've measured that for years when I was a, when I was a teacher, the first part you have to do is to identify what are the constructs of motivation. And so, you know, different, different researchers, different authors will pinpoint different things, but ultimately it comes down to, um, you know, purpose, autonomy, choice, rigor, affirmation. There's some basics that if, if these things are present in any organization, schools included, or any people's lives for that matter, they're going to have a heightened sense of motivation. So, you know, this year our admin team rolled out a, a student survey to all 2,200 students via via Google Forms, and I went into 75 classrooms, took me weeks and weeks, and kind of gave a spiel to students like, we care more about you than just your test scores, and we want to know, you know, how you're doing as people, and are you are you hopeful, and are you are you connected to your peers, and are you connected to your staff, and do you feel significant, like that what, what you bring to the table matters to people in this building? So basically, we, we, we phrase those questions as statements that they could agree or disagree with, and then they they could um, comment on each of the statements. And what was great about that is we we kind of created these like generalized areas that we were doing well, and general generalized areas where students might be struggling. So that we as a staff could focus on, like let's say students are feeling, our, our lowest percentage was in the area of significance. So students were really connected to their peers and they were really hopeful about their futures, but they weren't feeling like our staff really knew them well as individuals and, and knew what they were passionate about, and what they cared about and what mattered to them. Um, and, and they didn't feel like they had something unique to offer the school. Um, so then we could focus our PD and, a, and our, um, our initiatives around that, but also we could codify the entire survey. So we we told students it wasn't anonymous, and we were basically able to pull out various themes within each category. So if students weren't feeling significant, why was that? What was going on with students? And we, we looked at their comments, and we color-coded them, and we figured out different areas, and then we held um, student focus groups so they could give us more information on those those various areas and give us ideas about what we could do to improve their feelings of significance in the school. And then we created a high-flyer list. We created 100 students 
the top 100 students in the school who who disagreed with almost every statement. So that indicated they weren't feeling connected, they weren't feeling hopeful, they weren't feeling significant or that they mattered. And we were basically able to to have teachers, this this might sound interesting, I mean, not, not very warm and fuzzy, but it, it works in practice, basically sign up for students. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out of my way to make a connection with this student. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask them how they're doing every day. I'm going to smile at them in the halls and those sorts of things. And when I was a classroom teacher, I did that on, a, on an individual level as well. So I'd, I would give the students surveys and to ask them, you know, how, how they're feeling about, about school, how they're feeling about my class. And, you know, they gave honest answers and I could, I could determine which students were motivated and why that was and which students were unmotivated and why that was. So I think, you know, it's interesting because it's really hard. Uh, some people think it's really hard to measure the intangibles, but we forget that, like, just we could just ask the students because they know they know if they're motivated they know if they're not motivated and generally they know they know why and especially if you ask leading questions they can articulate why so i think eliciting student voice is something that we do not do enough of in schools and that would certainly get to the internal drive piece uh, the academic achievement piece i think we have mastered through our formative and summative assessments for the most part except broadening that that measurement to to encompass uh, subjects beyond just the the language arts and math uh, matics and sciences, um, and then and then the soft skill piece. Like I said, we just need to identify what are the important non cognitive skills for for life in the workforce, and then how can we create rubrics uh, that could objectively look at how students are doing towards with their growth in those areas. So it, I, it's totally doable, and it, it's so doable that we've started doing it in our schools. And what I'd love to do is now with this big data approach, take all of this information and try to take this nuanced data and connect it to graduation rates and and students who are continuing on uh, with post-secondary education and see which students, you know, students who answered this way on these surveys and got got these scores on their SBAC and, and you know, had, had these kind of non-cognitive skills. How is that playing out after high school? And how did that play out throughout their four years uh, in high school? And we could take that approach, you know, pre-K all the way through post-high. So I think, I think there's so much we could do in the area of measuring if we allow students to have a voice. This is so timely for me because just last week I read Seth Godin's blog and he had a post called Numbers and the Magic of Measuring the Right Thing. I'm putting that in the show notes at transformativeprinciple.org. And in here, uh, he talks about what should we be measuring. And so I asked, I sent this link out to my staff and I asked him, what are the things that we really should be measuring? And Amy, you would not believe the things that they said totally align with what you're talking about. And But the problem was is that we didn't know how we can measure them. Sure. And so asking the kids, great idea. Definitely what we should be doing. So in, in our district, we do a thing called the School Climate and Connectedness Survey. In other districts that I've been in, they do things called the ISQ. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember... Indicators of school quality, I think is what that one is. And then there's a bunch of different ones that people do on a large scale. And here's my problem with those things is that one, they're usually anonymous, so we can't correlate kids to other data, which you kind of breezed over. But there's a real value in that because that allows us to say, okay, this kid who's not connected, this is how they're feeling. Whereas the data we currently get is these many kids are not connected. So what are some things that we need to do to make them feel connected. So I want to highlight just two things that we've done because of that at our school. And then I want to get some more information about how you actually did that survey and got the results back fast enough to actually do something 
with it and doing your own definitely makes sense. So the first thing we did is we saw that students were not feeling like adults cared about them. And so we learned from uh, Rob Carroll, who's a principal out in Kentucky, about doing home visits. And as soon as I mentioned doing home visits to, to my leadership team teachers, they said, yes, let's do it. And so we went and visited every single home before school started to tell kids we were excited for them to come back to school. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. I, I just can't tell you how many dividends we've reaped from mm-hmm. that, of sure. just establishing that connection. The second thing we did is uh, in that survey, it said kids don't feel like anybody notices when they're not there. And so the kids who don't feel like anybody notices don't have a good connection with the school because they're like, I was gone. Nobody even knew I was gone. Yeah, not surprising, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what we started doing um, also from our leadership team was they said, well, we need to know who was absent the day before. And so that if we don't have the students, we can still tell them that. And so our attendance secretary now sends out a list every morning of all the kids who are absent so that you can look through it and see who is absent. And then those kids, as you see them, you can hopefully remember to say, hey, I missed you yesterday and help them have some sort of connection. That's amazing. Those two little things have been great for our school. Yep. And there's so much more that we can do. Yep. That was a great interview with Amy Fast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you wouldn't mind doing me a favor and uh, sharing this with your friends, your principal colleagues, so that they can get the benefit you're getting. And then also take a moment and rate this podcast in iTunes and in the Google Play Store if you'd like. That's how we help other people learn about it and uh, makes it so that uh, more people can learn from these awesome guests that I'm fortunate enough to interview each week. Thank you so much. My name is Jethro Jones. And you can find me at transformativeprinciple.org. Transformative Principle is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcast for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.